The problem is anti-ship missiles tend to come in very low, very fast, and you need a good radar. Um, same with, with detecting aircraft. So in the, um, say in the old days, even though 996 radar was nominally 64 miles good detection and it was a fantastic set, RAF Buccaneers would come in at about 10 feet above sea level, literally 10 feet above sea level, and you would struggle to pick them up outside of 25 miles. 25 miles doing just below Mach 1 does not give you a lot of time to carry out a missile engagement because people think that, that, that doing these things is simply push a button, missile flies, happy days. There's actually a set sequence of events, um, which we call Zippos, uh, and it, it's not just simply push a button. So you, you see something on radar, you put a track on it, someone has to call the anti-air warfare officer's attention, They'll look at it briefly. They'll say, uh, investigate track, wobbly whatnot. The fire control radars go from standby to radiate. It will take a few seconds for them to find the contact. They establish lock. The anti-air warfare officer contents themselves that uh, this is a threat. They seek permission from the captain to open fire. But then they carry out the engagement. So you see, you lose valuable seconds. And all the time, this thing's streaking in at you at 500 knots. So... Part of the trick is is minimising the, the the time you lose on the engagement process. So they're very very hard. That's one missile. Russian um, doctrine, of course, was to fire fifty of these things at you uh, and saturate uh, your air defences and just blow through and assume even if one or two hit a carrier, that that was worth the expense for them. So. It depends on lots of things. It depends how good the radar is. It depends what the chimpanzees behind the radar displays are like. It depends what the command is like, what the anti-air warfare officer or equivalent's like, the captain. It depends what op deaths they've got on the radar system. Is the radar system performing perfectly? Uh, you'd be amazed how um, radar systems on ships can have defects. Um, I don't know about you, Tim. I never saw auto-initiation on ADORs work once. We, we never used it. And this thing had been knocking around for decades. Uh, Auto initiation was crap. So you get you get things like that. You you get how good is a gun? How good is a fire control radar at, at taking cues off the target indication radar? How good is a missile? Um, what's the sea state? Is it cloudy, raining? Is uh, are the radar signals being degraded by um, clutter? What's Russian moving target indicator like on a radar? The thing that discriminates between a wave and and an air track. Do they have track extractors on their radar system? There's a million, million things that, that all kind of tie in together and, and make a fairly simple scenario, missile coming towards me, in, into a really complicated, um, it's like a, a little dance, a little sequence of events, predetermined in nature, which is why you call it Zippo. So you, you call a Zippo instead of ordering individual people in the option to do things. But it's all got to come together seamlessly and it all really comes down to how good is the kit because detecting a missile at 20 miles and detecting the missile at 60 miles could determine whether you die or not and what's a sausage fingered idiot like on the end of the keyboard looking at that radar data if they're if they're good if they know their stuff they will see a radar track and it's it's a, it's an art really i think even after all this time looking at a radar display hour after hour your, your eye, after a long time doing it, instinctively cues to tracks. I know uh, Tim will agree. 
uh, and it can paint twice and you will know that's an aircraft it's, it's literally that quick but that's years and years doing it and it's, tim, it's, tim has left us by the way but we do have 1776 from the other side of the atlantic join us uh to uh you know, complement what they're saying i think but yeah it, it, it's kitten people uh and if he's a if he's a 12-month conscript on, on the end of the radar system um might as well not be there well not necessarily but is he going to be as good as um uh someone who's who's been doing it for three or four years no and bearing in mind that technologically they're not going to be they're, they're not operating type 45 destroyers or Ali Burke destroyers these are probably a good few years behind and probably rely much more on manual, what we call manual injection. So someone behind a keyboard as opposed to the system initiating everything for you. So that, that's probably their problem. Yes, yeah, so I think we have a pretty big intelligence gap here when it comes to uh, who are the Russians sending to man they're more complex systems. Uh, at least we have an intelligence gap at the OSINT side, uh, not necessarily in the uh, NATO or coalition uh, intelligence gathering. And so for OSINT practitioners and, and folks like us who, who do this uh, or do something like this for a living and then come here and then have to federate our OSINT hats, what we've been able to find online from what we may or may not know, uh, it's pretty challenging, right? So, I mean, you look at the Chinese. Uh, the Chinese have a massive army. They've recently tried to shift from a conscript-based, you know, army of quote-unquote peasants and industrial workers to a professional army. They have some pretty advanced uh, radar systems, and in many cases, at the unclassified level, they have had PhDs who have designed these systems sitting on some of the consoles. That is part of their calculus. They're willing to invest that kind of cash to develop these exquisite systems that are incredibly complex and then pay to have the best minds in the world actually sitting at these consoles. Now, we know that's not the Russians, but... Are the Russians going to put conscripts on a console? That that's a fantastic question. And as Wings has just mentioned, you know, if you do not have an advanced radar and an advanced combat management system and an advanced radar control system, these things can overwhelm you pretty quickly. And you know, the number of Russian ships that are that are uh, sporting you know, advanced electronically scanned array radars is pretty fucking small, okay? The, you're, you see ships from China, from the Netherlands, from uh, the UK, from Japan, from Korea. You know, we're, we're all going all out on, uh, you know, either planar array radars or, or you get the AESA radars that are, that are 10 times cooler with digital beam forming capabilities. Like, this is some pretty sexy stuff. And we spend a lot of money, too, developing the combat management systems because if you do not have, uh, you know, your ones and zeros in a line, uh, the amount of information that, that you're going to be receiving is completely overwhelming. And, and so you need to be able to parse out what matters from what doesn't. You need to be able to discriminate tracks, as Wings was saying. And, and discriminating tracks is tremendously difficult 
Okay, so you have a lot of things that are going on in the air that are conspiring against you. Multipath fade effects. You have atmospheric ducting. You have ducting from two different places, surface and evaporative ducts. And especially over the water, you're now dealing with, you know, massive uh, shifts in temperature, in humidity, and all these things are conspiring to make your life more difficult. And so if you do not have a good radar system to begin with and you have a conscript, as, as Wings is suggesting, sitting on the panel, these guys are easy pickings, easy pickings. And I think we're seeing that right now with uh, not just the uh, the Harpoonski attack, the, the Neptune, but also now the actual legacy Harpoons going in there and doing God's work. So, you know, I, I love these discussions about radars and, and, and uh, folks who are sitting on the consoles. Uh, this stuff is not easy. And, and really, we should not assume that because it is 2022 that everybody, you know, has the same sensors. A lot of NATO countries, for example, are still relying on some really old systems here. These are really slow rotating radars that a good chunk of them are not even integrated into air defense networks. So, you know, there's a lot of catch up. I think that you're going to be seeing uh, a lot of countries in Europe and Russia playing maybe uh, to try to catch up to where uh, the tier one militaries, you know, the, the China's, the UK's, the U.S.'s uh, to a lesser extent, the, the French, the Dutch, the, uh, Japanese, well, the Japanese are probably close to tier one and, uh, and the Koreans are. Yeah, I, I, I've got to agree with that. Um, it, I, I use a type 42 destroyer, but as, as a baseline, if I assume that the Russians are kind of where we were, um, 1990, um, so a combat system, decent radars, um, but as, as an example, so we're talking conscripts. So down the Gulf in 1991 on our air team um, in the Northern Arabian Gulf, which was phenomenally busy uh, to the extent where we'd have 150 aircraft inside of, of 64 miles at any one time um, easily, um, all stacked up in ingress and egress in packages, um, AWACS tankers, heel, you, you name it, the, the full thing. Now, on that air team, there were four primary air trackers. Um, and each one of them had at least one badge. So each one of them had at least um, kind of four years done naval time uh, and, and as ABs. And then the, the leading seaman, the, 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 the Killick or the uh, PO, the air picture supervisor, was um, probably eight years. And then the air picture reporters, local and force, were two more badge than ABs. So you're talking four, eight, twelve, two. Upwards of 25 to 30 years experience just on the junior rates on the air team, not counting the, the anti-air warfare officer. So figure 25 years combined experience versus a Russian ops room with, um, what do they do, 12 weeks, basic, then on a ship, and you just know yeah, That definitely sounds right. Yeah, so we, we, we're talking at best eight months, and they won't have been at sea much during those eight months. They're getting a fast, They're getting a fast course now. But of course, it's not a busy airspace, the Black Sea. Everything's rooted south. So you've got the air transit lane to the south, happy days. But there's not an awful lot happening in terms of um, air tracking. Uh, so assuming that they're looking at their keyboard, they're looking at their radar displays, fingers on keyboards. They've not even got a busy theater to keep them going. There's not going to be a lot happening every time that they sail. So, yeah, they're, they're, I, I suspect 
I, I think if we were parachuted into a Russian warship's ops room, yeah, it would look old. I think we would look at the radar performance. We would be rather surprised how good it is. I think the problem is the interface between what the sensor, the, the information the sensors are providing, the combat data system, um, and the people behind it. I think that's a fundamental problem and some very flawed doctrine which led them to put their flagship and air defence cruiser into an engagement box. And to all intents and purposes, it doesn't look like she was radiating at all. She was under full MCOM, which, given they knew that they were under surveillance from NATO, is, is mind-boggling. I just, I still cannot get my head around. I would, I would have wanted everything turning on burning on Moskva, and I would have kept her about 180 nautical miles off the coast. I'd have had an AWACS up over her and I'd have had a cap. This is a, a, a an HVU, a high-value unit. And what do they do? They manage to walk her into the engagement envelope for Neptune. Uh, and it, it looks like she didn't even get a round off. So that tells you that there's a fundamental problem at the command level. Oh, absolutely, man. I would have had an A-50 uniform up. I would have had uh, MiG-29s, uh, maybe some SU-34s uh, as a suppression you know, of uh, the CDCMs. Anytime, you know, you get any kind of tippers that there's a uh, any kind of coastal surveillance radar going off or a fire control radar, that, that thing's going to catch an anti-radiation missile right up its keister, and, and they had none of that. Now, you know, we've seen the same kind of, uh, I don't want to call it laziness, but there's really no other way of describing it with the Israelis, right? When, when they took a uh, Charlie 802 or when the uh, uh, when I believe it was was it the Bahrainis or, or it was it was somebody else who who uh, one of our former joint high speed vessels I think it was the old uh, USNS Swift uh, got cornholed by a Charlie 802 as well and they were for a while trying to say it was an anti-tank uh, missile which obviously everyone who saw the video knew that it was a Charlie 802. Uh, but yeah, you know, people get complacent and uh, these guys, as you've pointed out, this is, this is what always makes me wonder about how the Chinese would function in naval warfare. You just don't have any runtime on you. Like how, how good are you? How, how good is your doctrine if it's not written in blood, uh, or, or written with a considerable amount of real experience and not just doing demonstrations but actual legitimate uh exercises really having to piece through how everything is going to work and if you're experiencing such a massive turnover as as you've uh illustrated here with conscript based crews or very short contracts with very short training and workup period there should be no expectation these guys are going to have any kind of capability despite you know, whatever great engineering may be going into their systems. Now, I, I always give Russian engineering a tip of the hat. They design some great shit. They just have no fucking clue how to get guys onto it who know how to use it. And that's always been the case. And it's just mind boggling to me. I mean, it, but you look at it, you know, they're very good at designing some exquisite systems. And then they're very good at designing some very basic and rudimentary systems. The AK-47 is a perfect example of a gun that can be thrown in mud, you know, uh, fossilized, dug up, hammered through, and then it'll still be shooting. 
is ridiculous. But that is that is a weapon system that was designed with the end user in mind. You know, some of the more advanced systems nowadays, I, I think you've nailed it, Wings. Yeah, I'd also say that they, they don't have an excuse today because there are enough publications out. I mean, if you... If you want to know how not to conduct fleet air defence, HMS Sheffield 92 is a, is a, is a seminal lesson uh, in what um, overconfidence uh, and absolute inability to accept what the sensors and, and what your radar pickets are telling you um, and and why why we do threat assessments. I mean, for, for the CTG, for the battle group commander to say the air threat is the biggest threat and then for the skipper of a destroyer, to say, no, I think it's ASW, uh, and then have a missile fly into the side when it had been detected and reported by another radar picket is is astonishing. So you'd think the Russians would be would be pouring over this stuff and learning it, which takes us back. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Why an AAW cruiser with no escort up threat, no overhead coverage, um, just tooling around as, as if as if he owned the place. Um, and then probably incredibly surprised when two Neptunes went into the, the ops room and the machinery control room in HQ1. Um, and very few people would have got off it. And, but on, on the flip side, in their defence, Snake Island a few weeks ago was um, pretty empty and um, not a lot happening there. And they have turned it into a forward operating base of some capability. So they're not, I, I don't mean they're completely stupid. They've managed to pull that off a tree. And they've created a real pain in the backside for the Ukrainians over that end of town. So they, they, they're like a roller coaster ride, aren't they? They they do something. It's a bit like being in charge of, of service personnel, actually. They do something and you're like, yeah, OK, that's pretty good. They managed to carry that off. And then the next day they'll, they'll commit an act of such appalling stupidity that you just kind of head in your hands going, oh, for God's sake, what, what are you thinking, boys? So... I think the tug was an act of stupidity, probably hubris or time precious, or they were just unlucky and the escort turned around. I would expect them to pull something off next in the next 24, 48 hours, which will which will probably bring us back up to well, they are learning and they are learning. Anyone who says that the Russians aren't learning is, you know, is is a bit is a bit deluded to be honest because that's just the way these things work even stupid people learn if they make the same mistakes more often enough and um i'd expect to see a fairly big i don't know about you um Thanos, i'd expect to see a fairly big op in the, in the next day or so and there's a lot of nato kit going up towards the black sea today as well so clearly clearly they think something's in the wind thank you gentlemen uh, let's just, go to it's just the continued amount of uh gamesmanship between the two parties in between uh, say intermediate strikes that's fair enough and good enough just as well obviously they want to project power obviously they know that they are uh, not invincible that uh, they have very little strike capacity for an amphibious landing as we discussed many times over if and when they could only drive it towards ofchakiv to relieve or threaten nikolaev there's nothing they can do towards odessa uh, they just don't have the capabilities in, in their amphibious landing um, setup at the moment, no matter how many boys and girls they put on their ships. And the Ukrainians will take them out even when they come close to the, uh, anywhere near the shore. Okay. Um, let's go to Speranza, and then I have a couple more naval questions pending for uh, uh, Gani and Thanos. Speranza. Yeah, thanks very much. And I have a question to Wings. Uh, for those who are not in line with military and weapons, 
Uh, and assuming uh, we know what technology and how advanced uh, military uh, power has uh, has NATO, would uh, the question may be stupid, but uh, uh, could, could we assume that the NATO knows exactly what has happened there uh, on uh, on the topic we're discussing now? One hundred percent. Oh God, yeah, absolutely. Um... The, the, the Ukrainian Fair Command will, will be um, if there isn't if there isn't someone from the West um, staying over, lending a hand, they're going to be a conference calling securely, obviously continuously. NATO know exactly what's going on. NATO know who who was on the tug. Um, NATO know the state of affairs on Snake Island. They probably know the logistics, state um, ammunition, state everything. Russian comms are fully compromised. We know that. Um, and this is why you're seeing the Ukrainians um, bleeding the Russians dry. The, 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 NATO know an awful lot about what's going on. All we do is we just try and piece together the, 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 the chunks here and there that come across the desk. Uh, and we're going to be wildly inaccurate about a lot of it. Because what I see, the, 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 the wonderful uh, guesswork uh, which has been done, uh, shows that there's really very little material to, to be analysed uh, uh, for Austin's. Yeah, so uh, so uh, that's just showing that um, nothing's leaking out from anybody uh, around NATO. So that's a good thing. Isn't that perfect? Oh, it, indeed, it is. Excellent, Gany. Just to clarify, just a little bit. So it's not NATO as an institution that's doing any of this, right? It's the US, it's the UK, it's also Sweden to some degree, right? Individual NATO member states and Sweden is a non-member thus far. It's not a NATO centralized operation, right? Sure, I just, that was an abbreviation. I'd say to that, who knows? <laughs> I mean, who, who, who here? So the, the, the problem with this is, this is everything from what's the kit like on a Russian infantry to who stood next to um, the, the general in Ukrainian HQ. So we we cannot give really definitive answers on an awful lot of stuff. We don't know what, what kind of assistance is being provided. Is it uh, is, is there some kind of unified command in the West giving advice? I don't know. Do you? How pe- people go on about tours. Tours won't work at sea. How do you know? What, you've been in one, mate? Have you have you sat down and, and have you sat down on the mountain commander's seat? Right. T90's rubbish. The thermals are terrible on it. How do you know? What, you, you sat in the TC's commander position on the, on the T-90? I'll take that off the NATO boffin who's going to be taking a T-90 apart in a warehouse somewhere in the West that the Ukrainians are captured. That's fine. But the, the, the problem with OSIN quite often, and um, and I'll put myself in this category because I do wild-ass guessing, there's an awful lot of people out there who seem to know an awful lot about Russian kit and Russian tactics and what NATO's doing. And they're remarkably well informed, aren't they? Considering that uh, a lot of them have never even served in the military and they've never so much as seen a Russian tank in real life before. So when we piece together all this stuff, um, so for me, I base it on, as I said, a Russian warship being about kind of 1990 in terms of census, probably over generous in many ways. Um, OSINT will we'll base his on um, being a former Pathfinder and 16 Air Assault. Portland um, was a serving army officer and has a master's in um, um, 
chemicals and explosives and and stuff like that so we all kind of you get you get the people who piece it together and they try and base it on real life and there's an awful lot of people out there who just talk shit um and steal other people's stuff and then come to their own really weird conclusions and i think this that's why spaces like this are really important because at least you'll 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 get a gen opinion but we always caveat it with this is what we think um and i would certainly never come out and say um, the Admiral Makarov is an awful warship. The only way I will know the Admiral Makarov is an awful warship is if I manage to have a look round and then I sit in her ops room during her defence exercise, put her firefighting breathing apparatus on, have a look at the bridge, see how that works, see what the seamanship's like when she sets sail, have a look around the engine rooms, look at the fixed firefighting. Until then, I don't have a clue. All I can do is give you impressions, and that's based on previous experience that's what i'd look for so when when so when people say dom you know well just to clarify it's not you know it's not nato given assistance it's individual um countries i'd just say we don't know do we we ain't got a clue and I'll, then, I'll rephrase <laughs> it with adding the statements to the best of our knowledge yeah to the, we can to the claim best countries do and we can't say the same thing about nato no, to the to the best of our knowledge, I've I, I've got my own suspicions. Um, but there are still people out there who think Forte, RC one three fives, the E eight, and the P eight Poseidons are purely on uh, NATO tasking and do not communicate with the Ukrainians at all. I mean, you know, are you on glue? I, I really, we we think all these assets are just tooling around and nothing's been given to 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 Ukraine. I mean, yeah. But it's fine. It's just piecing it together. And that's what kind of makes it so interesting. And as I say, why this space is so important. At least you get caveats here, um, as opposed to some of the idiots knocking around on Twitter who just chat crap all day. Uh, and then when you challenge them, they've got no basis for it. I've seen some gleaming stuff this morning um, about inexhaustible Russian tank supplies, as if driving something around designed in 1955 is in some way um, going to make up for tank losses. Um, no. You know, they're driving stuff designed in the 1950s into battle. It's a, it's a vicious circle jerk. Badly trained people in really shit tanks, in really bad maintenance state. Of course, things are getting worse and worse and worse. And it's not all about numbers. But some of these people have PhDs and things. And you, you just, I don't know, maybe they give them away in boxes of cornflakes. I don't know. Domin, uh, just for clarity, so uh, so uh, so everything is clear. Uh, what I, w- I was asking only for intelligence and information, no action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know. I was just trying to, you know, put put a put a dividing line in between what individual NATO member states are doing and NATO, which is a NATO is a relatively limited organization. That, that's what I was trying to get at. And there's so much that the militaries of various NATO member states do that is outside of the auspices of NATO per se, right? If you just think about how much more closely the US and the UK cooperate on, say, intelligence, for example, and you know, more or less everything else, than uh, the US and Turkey or US and Albania, right? Um, it, it's it's an insane difference in, in levels. And from that perspective, I was saying, right, we know that there's... U.S. planes flying above there. We know that there's Swedish planes. We know that there's British planes. We know for sure that they're gathering intelligence. We don't. We can't say nearly as for sure whether this is a, you know, um, all of NATO, including Turkey, is all behind on the same page. They're, they're all together behind it, right? Yeah. 
that that's a little bit more tenuous. That that's all I was trying to stress. Um, you know the caveats that Gani was talking about, and I completely agree. Gani, the, the space is really good because it's a little bit more long form, and because you can kind of go back and forth and, and be a little bit more precise in what you say. Whereas uh, Twitter, when written, is naturally by default a lot more short form and statements get made then aren't appropriately caveated or detailed and it's a lot more difficult and a lot more confrontational when people challenge one another about the the, the you know the details the caveats and so on and I, I think this is what we do very well because we can you know all take a deep breath and have a nice chat about what the appropriate caveat at which point is and i i find that immensely valuable because i i'm not really one for you know the sort of usual twitter arguing and confrontations, let's say. Um, so I see we got smooth up. I'm sure he has another question, but I have one pending for a while for both uh, Ghani and Thanos. Um, apparently, Ukrainians have published a bunch of social media photos from uh, Russian soldiers, sailors, um, from those gas rigs that were apparently struck about, let's go about 36, 34 hours ago now. How does, when, you know, Gandhi, you were earlier were saying, you know, whether they were military targets, whether they weren't military targets, does it make, does that make it quite clear that they were and should be considered military targets? Um, I don't know what's on those orbits. So, I, yeah, I've seen two photos of two grinning lunatics in, in combat. That's all I've really seen. Um, if If it was just a security detachment, just for the safety of the rigs and nothing else, um, and there were 60, 70, 80 civvies on there. Um, under our ROE, that's not a legitimate target. We wouldn't go after that unless there was something mission specific that um, meant it had to be destroyed. Uh, civilian casualties are just not a good thing. And the Ukrainians have been quite averse. In fact, they've probably been very, they've been very not constrained. They've been very um, careful not to go after targets which probably have presented themselves but but which would cause collateral um losses so two photos of two idiots on an oil rig is not proof to me that they were being um anything but a security detachment at the moment portland says um one of the rigs has what looks like esm equipment on it so electronic support measures um I think that was probably from before the war, so they're pretty redundant now. If there's, if they put a long-range search radar on the helicopter pad, then it becomes a legitimate target, I suppose. I, I, I wouldn't see it myself. I don't think there'd be anything really big to gain from putting a long-range air search radar on an oil rig. So yeah, it's that trade-off, isn't it? That, 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 that's for the combatants to decide. If I, if I kill seven dozen people what what's on there what was on that rig that was worth potentially that many fatalities i've not seen anything to suggest there was anything really mission mission uh important at the moment but we again we just don't know do we we they might have had some kind of super duper electronic support measures mounting put on the helicopter pad that was hoovering up radio and radar signals from um ukraine it might have been part of a network of um, places looking for Ukrainian shore batteries. It may have had a helicopter on it, and they were using it as a, as a forward operating base for special forces to do insertions. So again, none of these I really see. I, I don't believe them myself. Um, so, yeah. I, I would actually disagree 
with that, uh, which is which is cool because it's one of the rare occasions where Gundy and I get to disagree. Uh, so what you're looking at with those facilities is even if they do not have perfect intelligence of dual use, it is potential dual use. Uh, it is also a uh, logistics hub. It is capable of generating fuel, which will also support uh, not only the Russian economy, but also Russian uh, war efforts. Uh, it is a legitimate target under the international conventions of war. Just like a train station, just like a rail track, these may be dual use, completely legitimate targets. Uh, civilian loss of life, regrettable. Uh, but in many cases, when you're talking about dual use, factories, whatnot, uh, unavoidable. And so I believe that this was a legitimate strike. I, I don't think that there needs to be much explaining about uh, the exact numbers uh, or even any numbers at all of military personnel, given its dual use and the fact that these uh, platforms exist in an area that has been closed by the Russian military for military operations. Uh, so I, I do not believe that there is any or there should be any uh, consideration for any kind of war crimes uh, or any other kind of uh, Hague slash United Nations condemnation. This was perfectly legitimate strikes. And in fact, I, as much as I uh, mourn the, the loss of any innocent life, if they are in fact innocent, uh, I'd like to see more of this in the future. I think it would be handy to know where the Russians stand on um, get someone in who knows the oil and gas business to, to probably worth getting them in to do an assessment to say, look, if we if we killed all the rigs in this area, what would be the economic impact on the Russians? If, if it comes back, it would be fairly substantial. Then, OK, yeah, I'll buy that. All right. So it was an economic target. Um, if they come back and they say negligible, if at all. And bearing in mind that these, um, technically these are, correct me if I'm wrong, these are Ukrainian that have been taken over. And it's going to be really correct. Diff- yeah, so it's going to be, if, if a rig's collapsing on the wellheads, it's just going to make um, restarting these wellheads massively, um, massively difficult in the future. I mean, it'll happen, but it's just, cost-wise, it's just going to be horrendous because you've got to shift thousands of tons of steel off the things. What I would say is it's interesting the Russians aren't screaming blue bloody murder over there. That's just popped into my head. If if you if Ukrainians killed loads of civvies, um, it would make sense for the Russian PR machine to kick in and for them to say this is absolutely um, appalling. All right, they haven't got a leg to stand on. I mean, it's Russians, but, you know, for, for domestic consumption, look what the Ukrainians are doing. They're killing um, strong as bull. Uh, gas workers, uh, innocent men, children, orphan, blah, 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 all the usual thing. They don't seem to be doing that for some reason. I, I still don't think... That's why have... they... Wing, Gunny, this is why they put out these two images. Just to highlight to everyone and to the Russians, we know that you know that we know. So then... Yeah, but I, I mean, you'd expect... A, it, it, it's a war zone, so you'd expect a security detachment on our rig anyway, to be honest with you. I think... Especially an occupied one. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm still erring towards that this was accidental. I think the Ukrainians might have gone after something else, uh, and and the Russians employed this this maritime tactic. Or the only other option is there was something again. It's a tug thing. There was something there that needed to die. 
it's been there for months and months and months. Nobody's had a punt at it before on the Ukrainian side. The tug's been doing this run for weeks and weeks and weeks. Nobody decided to take a punt at it on the Ukrainian side. And then suddenly now they're chucking um, ship, uh, anti-ship missiles at these things. So if you kind of join the dot, I think they might be connected in some way. How, I don't know. But for some reason, suddenly the Ukrainians have decided that they need to be a lot more active and to probably steal the initiative a bit and start dictate, start dictating the rules to the Russians, forcing them to react. So running convoys further south. You know, I mean, was the rig part of the cross-fixing um, platform? All right, yeah, I could, get, I could get that, I suppose. I mean, the more assets that you have up for it. For Do you want to explain cross-fixing to uh, some of our other uh, friends online who uh, may not understand it? Yeah, sure. Uh, what I'll do is I'll put a photo up in a minute on my Twitter account and I'll show you a basic cross-fix um, on a chart that I've got. But essentially what you do is when, so when a radar generates a signal, if it's got a detection range of 200 miles, if I've got the right equipment, I'll pick it up at 500 miles as a, as a very faint bearing. It, it, there'll be a little bit of error on it, but I'll be able to tell you roughly where it is. If I've got two platforms out, say 30 miles apart, and they both detect this radar, and you draw a line from each platform to where you think the source is, the direction, eventually they intersect, and that's called a crossfit. If you give it plus or minus, say, two degrees, what you'll have is an area of probability. If I get another platform, another 30 miles away, and I draw another bearing line, I get a more accurate crossfix. And then if I do that repeatedly, over time, I'll be able to give you not only where I think the radar is, but I'll be able to give you a course and a speed if it's a ship um, because I'm plotting it on a chart. And I'll also tell you what type of radar it is, bandwidth, frequency, aerial rotation, uh, and therefore I can tell you what class of ship it is. I'll, I'll put a picture. It sounds complicated. Actually, it's really easy. It's so easy, even I managed to do it. Um, and you can do it on a paper chart just using a parallel ruler, a pair of dividers and a pencil. Um, and you can actually derive a lot of information. So if you imagine these platforms across the Black Sea from Sevastopol to Snake Island and something on the Ukrainian side, say a surface search radar on the, on the coast generates a signal, you've got a chain of positions that will all create a bearing line. And then where all of those bearing lines um, cross each other, that's your crossfix. And that's probably where that battery is going to be or the search radar and you can start hitting it with cruise missiles or aircraft or, or whatever you want to do. So I, I, I get that the, the platform might be for use in that. I just think you could probably achieve it with a frigate or a corvette and be more defensible. But yeah, 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 an ESM platform. Yeah, I'd, 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 I'd get that, I think. I'm just not sure why suddenly it had to be killed. You, you bring up a, a really interesting point, which is... What, if anything, has changed to precipitate that uh, the, the necessity of taking out that rig? And, you know, it gets to an earlier discussion that uh, that a f couple of folks were having, which is what kind of intelligence is being fed to the Ukrainians. So, you know, something may have been put on there. Something may have about to have been put on there. And it was necessary to generate a, a message that, no, actually, we're holding these platforms at risk, and we have no problem hitting them. Uh, 
break break they're still kind of our platforms and we'd like to get them back without having them be smoldering wreckages doing deep water horizon into the black sea and, and totally gunking up all of our uh shorelines where we can't fish now so uh perhaps if we're able to hold them at risk with a limited cruise missile strike maybe you you will decide against putting a very high-end uh weapon system or sensor system on top of that I, again speculation pure speculation no way of knowing with osin yeah absolutely 100 percent agree um yeah killing platforms like this if it if it was esm it, it's part of it, it degrading and um the the enemy's ability um to exercise um control over the battle space i suppose so the first thing that you do is you start killing their sensor platforms it's, it's looking more and more likely that they did go after snake island 24 48 hours ago and were unsuccessful um and yeah maybe this orig platform is just another part part of that process what will be interesting though is if there is a second rig on fire if there's a second rig on fire Either they've they've moved equipment onto more than one rig, or it's it might be more economic rather than than military. Um, I suppose we'll have to wait and see. I'll I'll put those two pictures up uh, on my uh, Twitter anyway, so you can have a look at um at what a crossfix is. They're actually called rackets. They're probably called something different now, but um, you used to call them racket. A racket is an intercepted radar signal. Uh, it's very old school. It's all done electronically now. So um, you're looking at a bit of history on that chart. The important thing to note about doing any kind of cause fixes is that with high precision against low probability of intercept uh, radars or communications, this can be very difficult and requires a lot of sophisticated uh, tools to do it. However, with something that is very like a commercial navigation radar, you put the right ham radio operators together with the correct, you know, oscilloscopes and a couple of other things, you can really accomplish quite a bit in terms of being able to get a broad uh, line of bearing, a pulse repetition uh, interval, pulse repetition frequency, and then you start looking at, uh, you know, the, the search areas and, and all sorts of really neat identifying characteristics which with even just a, 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 a James might be enough to identify a class of ship so you know these things that we're talking about right now you know these things can be learned and they can be learned on short order if you with someone with as uh, basic background as electrical engineering or uh, a ham radio operator can be taught to do this in short order Maybe a few typos here and there, but what's going on with the chat here? Hey, Chris. So. Axel, hot mic. Axel. Hey guys, there we go. Sorry, I thought he was uh, talking to us first. And was no, I was, talking, I was talking to the rest of the bunch of the people in the office. I apologize. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I picked it up, picked up on it, and then it was clear as hot mic. Carry on, Axel. Uh, well, we, there uh, are nuclear physicists here to talk to us, so Thanos would be happy. We could actually say calculate a few more things of what uh, CJ and Thanos and others are typically doing. But there you go. Let's go move to CJ. Yeah, let's uh, let's move to CJ. <laughs> hey everyone. Have a, there you go. Yeah, I, I just sent wings. I sent you um, a newly released photo from Ukrainian media. Again, it, it looks you know if it's to be believed, of course, it looks like um, something blew up on Snake Island. Again, not really quite clear. 
but if that's uh, an old photo or old uh, imagery, let me know. I guess my sort of um, my question that I had earlier, and may, hopefully you haven't talked about it, but if you have, that's all right. I know we saw evidence, or not evidence, but someone said that it, it could have been SU-27s that took part in the strike in the last 24 hours. And I guess my thought would be it would be much more difficult to use, uh, you know, fixed-wing aircraft against the oil rigs, it, you know, because it's protected not only by the radar and, and missiles from Snake Island, but also Crimea since the oil rig kind of sits in between the two. I guess if it were SU-27s, what would that mean about the estimation of uh, Crimea's radar and anti-air capability? And uh, would it even be possible to be to fix wings to have accomplished that? Uh, I mean, Portland's done some really deep digging on this. Uh, I don't know if you heard him, CJ, a, a few days ago. He So he's got his hands on a tour manual um, and he's had it uh, translated. He's done some rough work about um, detection and engagement. His assessment was Snake Island is a bastard. It's going to be a real fucker to, to break um, simply by virtue of the, of the fact they can chuck a hell of a lot up in the air. Now, again, we, we don't know exactly what long range. I've not seen what long range radar they've got in position. We do know that they've got raid warning from the from the ship. We we think we know what kits there, but I've seen various um, various different accounts of the number of tour systems that they've got, the number of panseers, etc. If we if we went by what what my gut feeling is, which, which is between sort of seven and nine tours, a decent long range search radar, two or three panseers, then man pad. I'd be astonished if they put fixed wing over there. I really would. I think the Russians are claiming to have killed 13 UAVs. I'm I'm not buying that, to be honest with you. Um, OSIN 88 reckons Harvard, and we might might be at, at the figure. Again, eight, eight TB2s thrown at Snake. I, I, no. I wonder if there's been an MRLS strike, and that's what they think, that's what they killed which would kind of tie in with, with Portland's assessment. No, definitely. And I guess I wanted to, to highlight on something you said earlier, because as we try and figure out what happened, I think, you know, understanding the intelligence is so important. So not to demean anyone on the panel, but for just, you know, everyone's general awareness, right? We have op- OSINT, open source intelligence, which is, you know, different people's reports on what's happening, transmissions, things readily available on social media. As you mentioned, the firm's data, and that kind of stuff, analyzing those pictures is a skill in and of itself. You know, it's not as easy as OSIN is necessarily for the, the general public to, to do accurately. So I guess maybe 1776 or Wings, you have more experience with GeoInt than, than I do. But I guess we were talking about the firm's data on Snake Island. Since, one, there isn't many trees, and two, maybe the fires wouldn't be as visible as, say, a general artillery strike somewhere else. Is there a chance that a strike could have happened successfully on Snake Island and we wouldn't see it on firm's? Or is firms so uh, solid in terms of rating, you know, the destruction of air defenses that it could be used as well? Because I guess that might be my thought is it might not even be visible on firms if, if we're going to rely on that mainly to determine if a, a strike was successful or not. I have zero experience in anything GIS or doing uh, battle damage assessments utilizing GIS. So I will defer. Uh, I'm, I'm afraid to say, man, for me, one of the. I'm I'm content something big happened simply because of these um, eyewitness accounts that reported multiple explosions on the horizon. Um, uh, that photo is probably an old photo, CJ. Um, o- Ocean yeah, I, I send him that since as well. It is old. 
Yeah. So I think any any flashes were probably the result of of some kind of engagement between um, MRLS and um, short uh, uh, sand batteries. I think I'd, I'd be astonished if the Ukrainians threw that that many UAVs at the island. I mean, it's important, but these UAVs are, are, are pretty precious. So it was something else, either MRLS maybe, or yeah. I mean, did the Ukrainians decide that actually, but we've got to put some fixed wing in there? If they did, I reckon they probably got hurt quite badly doing that. And given how smart the Ukrainians have been with employing their air force and keeping it as as a force in being and using it quite deftly, we'd be talking about the Ukrainians suddenly having a, a Russia shit to the brain and saying, Do you know what, Let, let's put six fixed wing um, into Snake and see what we get. I, I can't see it myself. I don't know about anyone else, but that doesn't tie in with with anything I've seen with the Ukrainian Air Force so far. They're, they're not stupid. Um, and, and, of course, the standard routine first is you you, you denude uh, and degrade enemy air defence, and then you hit it with fixed wing. Um, maybe there was a strike package up. Maybe they did an MRLS strike first, and it was just unsuccessful. And then they called off the strike package and sent everything home. That I, I think that's probably more likely, but um, we'll have to wait and see. There's, it's really frustrating for everyone because there's just nothing coming out, really just dribs and drabs so no one's talking the russians well the, the the russians say they repulsed an air attack um and the ukrainians have been very very quiet about it so we're just running on 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 third hand third hand reports of flashes seen at sea and that could be anything i mean that could be sam's knocking stuff out the sky it could be bomb impacts on snake island um it could be outgoing or incoming i think is is the bottom line and to an untrained eye there is no way for them to necessarily discriminate other than to say we saw flashes on the horizon the su-27 you can think of it as kind of a poor man's a-10 uh this is not a suppression of enemy air defenses platform uh, limited ECM capabilities, limited electronic attack capabilities, if any. Uh, if I'm thinking that I'm going to see an airborne suppression of enemy air defenses, I'm thinking an Su-34 Mike, and I don't even think the uh, uh, the Ukrainians necessarily have those platforms, or if they do, they have an older export variant thereof. So I, I cannot imagine, just as Wings has stated, a fixed-wing sortie with such limited uh, inventory right now for the Ukrainians being hazarded over Snake Island without any kind of massive preparation of the battle space. I think the assessment of MLRS makes great sense to me. Uh, the Russians have not demonstrated a good air defense capability at knocking out what, uh, it sounds like you have a military background too, but counter rockets and mortars, cram, you know, we have systems in the United States, Israel has systems like Iron Dome that are particularly designed to take out those kinds of ballistic trajectories, very small radar cross sections, high volume fires. Uh, to my knowledge, the Russians really do not have a non-navalized system uh, that is designed for that to do any kind of uh, area air defense against cramps. So I'd be very curious to see uh, when the truth is. CJ. No, I mean, you know, I think, and I, it, Wings kind of hit on it, you know, as an artillery officer myself, you know, we should never discount the, the joint nature of this fight, right? Because if Ukraine could take out 
uh, a flagship with just, you know, some medium UAVs, i.e. the TB2 and some homemade, well, not homemade, but organic uh, anti-ship missiles, you know, adding, you know, high mobility rockets to the fight, adding more fixed wing to the fight. You know, we're just giving Ukraine as many options as possible because as wings and all the other naval experts have said time and time again, you know, in order to defeat these kind of complicated systems, it's about integrating all these aspects together. And the more capabilities that Ukraine has to do it, the more likely they'll be successful. So just all of the different types of aid are just as equally important in, in this endeavor, I think. And I don't know if it was high bars, but I, I'd sure let you know if, if I thought it was. So I guess we'll wait and see um, what the result is. But go Ukraine. Thank you. Um, sorry, guys, I know you have your hands up, but I have a couple of things pending from a Romanian listener for a long time now. First of all, apparently Romanian press is reporting that uh, the Russians want to remobilize the survivors from the Moskva. Um, and then further on, uh, there have been those uh, Russian surface combatants in um, Romanian EEZ waters, right, close to Romanian gas rigs, oil rigs and so on. How can you chase them away? Send some Romanian frigates into the water, or what do you do to, uh, you know, not have them next to Romanian gas rigs anymore? Nothing, I'm afraid. Um, yeah, I mean, we discussed this last night. Um, R- Russian warship Ivan Spankovich. This is Romanian frigate. Um, you are requested to remove yourself from the Romanian economic zone um, immediately, as you are endangering civilian personnel on rigs. No. There you go. That that's the answer. They won't move, and you can't force them to move. Uh, you 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 might put a you might put a frigate into the same area, but no one's going to be doing um, trying to head each other off in the middle of a of, of a rig field because collisions happen that way. And all it takes is is uh, a collision, someone clouting someone else's stern, losing steering gear, uh, and then a, a warship's running into an oil rig which is just going to be a pain in the ass. So the Romanians would have made diplomatic representations. The Russians would have gone, yeah, 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 do one, mate. Um, and that will be it. I'm afraid there's there's literally nothing that they can do. Uh, reference to Moscow, they, they, they want to regenerate both of them that got off. Well, you know, two sailors. Wow. I'm sure they'll be just a mustard about that. Um, um, I, if I was them, I just really wouldn't want to tug, <laughs> put it that way. Yeah, congratulations about surviving Moscow. We've got this tug we want you to serve on. Yeah, get stuff, mate. I'd rather be in a T-62 facing a, um, a Ukrainian infantry. Thanks. Yeah, there are no good weapon systems to employ that do not present a significant and unacceptable risk to your oil fields. You can't mine the area because you can't risk having a bottom-influence mine, for example, break tether with the seafloor. Uh you can't even use some passive countermeasures. <coughs> Excuse me, uh, damn pollen, such as uh, cables or nets that are designed to foul the screws of a of a warship. Because again, you can't risk the uh, warship having that steering casualty and then come crashing into your uh, oil rig. So I think Wings has really nailed it. You get a, a level one query, a level two warning. You get told to pound sand, and then you say, "Okay, Roger, out." Just to uh, offside, um, AH just ping me. There's something happening in that um, area where the uh, oil rig was hit yesterday, day before. There's there's mobile flashes on firms now, so 
uh, I would, yeah, I would just keep an eye on that, keep a track on that. There's some something might be kicking off. Ingeni, VSL. Yeah, thanks. Um, I don't see a firm's change yet, but I'm I'm wondering uh, where what the uh, um, look geolocation is from the um, islands because or uh, from the rigs because. Um, the fire seemed too close, and so there were reports that the well was also on fire. So that's can explain a bit, maybe that the two fires are close on firms because they're not two oil rigs, in my guess, they're farther apart. But that's something I'm currently researching. Um, where the where the 